Hi, Mandy and Matthew. It's Lonnie from Chipperish Media, and I wanted to say congratulations on hitting the century mark with Pop Culturally Deprived. I love the show, and I love you guys on it. And while now Mandy has seen a lot of movies that I even haven't seen, I think it's fair to say she is no longer pop culturally deprived. But I'm glad you're going to keep going on with the show. You two are such a delight to listen to, and I have to say my favorite episode so far is the one I guested on, not because it was me, but because I got to talk about one of my favorite movies, When Harry Met Sally, with two of my favorite people. That'd be you guys. I wish you both all the success in the world, and here's to another 100 episodes. just heard it is the 100th episode of pop culturally deprived today is a celebration extravaganza as we hear from you while we talk about miracle on 34th street on your i'm trying to limit my intake of sugar podcast i'm mandy k and i'm matthew vose mandy happy 100th episode happy 100th episode sort of 100 yeah <laughs> 100 officially 100 it's the one that we that? put the number 100 against Yes. <laughs> Can we just start randomly numbering them? Next episode, 500. No. <laughs> um, thank you very much to Lani for her very kind words and excellent intro. Um, I, I think it is not a lie to say Lani is one of our favorite people and podcasters and, and is in some ways the inspiration for us both to come and do this thing. Oh, absolutely. Pop Culturally Deprived would not exist if it were not for Lani and her own podcasting. Mm. I think she is... Uh, one of the high watermarks for the quality and professionalism that we want to hit. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've Absolutely. got a w- ways to go sometimes. <laughs> Most times, I think. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite episode so far? Oh, I have to narrow it down to one? Uh, you don't have to narrow it down at all, but Lani said hers, so that's a really good place to start off. What, what have you enjoyed in this? Oh, goodness. I am always going to come back to Die Hard because it was our first episode It was a movie I expected to not particularly like, and I ended up loving it. Mm. And it started a wonderful friendship between you and I. So how could it not be my favorite? (laughs) Nice. What about you? Do you have just one favorite? Um, I think I'd have to give the same answer as Lani, the ones I've been on. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's all of them, except for like two. (laughs) All the recordings with me there, my favorite. No. Um... I think I've enjoyed obviously sharing like childhood or, or beloved favorites with you. Things like Die Hard, things like Bill and Ted, uh, Ghostbusters when we recorded with Brandon, um, other things of that ilk have been a lot mm-hmm. of fun. And getting into Star Trek has been quite, it's been really nice getting into Star Trek and having other people as well. So it's not yes. just me gushing or looking at it from my one perspective. So, right. Yeah, it's always good. I noticed you conspicuously left out Monty Python. Is that just because you are so hurt that I didn't enjoy those? (laughs) Yes. Okay. That is a rift that can never be healed. (laughs) Hi, this is Jen. And this is Kate. And we're the co-hosts of uh, Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. And you may have heard uh, us each guesting on Eloquently Gushing's Pop Culturally Deprived. And obviously, we were Mandy and Matthew's favorite guests on here on Pop Culturally Deprived, and we're very excited for them to get to their 100th episode. Yes, 
Um, now, we may not have always agreed with Mandy or Matthew on their uh, discussion of certain films. Whoa, 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 do you have somebody that you agree with more often? I think that I agree with Matthew more often. Hmm. How about you? It's hard to tell, but I would probably say I agree with Mandy more often. Yes, that doesn't surprise me. And I'm not just saying that because Mandy and I are working on a new project together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Either way, we thought we'd send in a message to say congratulations and more importantly, tell them that they should have us back on. Yes. <sighs> We've both informed them that they need to do episodes on mythical beasts involving dragons and unicorns. And obviously more Star Trek. And more us. Yeah. Most importantly. This sounds more like a promo. <laughs> they don't have to put it on their episode. <laughs> All right. I think okay. that's good. We're done. We're going to yeah, get out of here. We're Congrats definitely done. on your 100th episode, guys. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Those two crack me up. Yeah, it really does sound like a promo. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> uh, do you? Who do you agree with more often? Me or you? Uh, myself, obviously. <laughs> and what's this? You're doing another recording with someone else? How very dare you? <laughs> um, okay, Mr. I already have two other podcasts with other people. <laughs> and yes, we do um, definitely want to have them back on, I think, at some point. It's easy to want to invite people back on when they're sending you messages for your 100th episode. So, you know, people who did it for this episode, you'd made the right choice. Absolutely. <laughs> Caitlin also does a uh, Tolkien podcast, and I love the animated Lord of the Rings, so I really want to talk to her about that at some point. I don't think you've seen it, and you do like Lord of the Rings. Correct. Yeah. On both accounts. Yeah. I love that version. So it sounds like you're you're pitching an episode about that animated Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I'm not even sure yeah. Kate's seen it, but she is, you know, the biggest Tolkien buff that I know. Okay. Mm. Wow. We'll have to ask her about it. So, today we're talking Miracle on 34th Street, because we are in Christmas. We're talking the 1994 version, with uh, people that we have seen in other things. Richard Attenborough. <laughs> oh, Lord, this is going to go well. Um, Mandy, how come y you've never seen it? Is this, again, you hate Christmas, so how you couldn't bear to see it? Yeah, I have no good reason for this. I really don't. All I can figure is... It's a remake of a super old movie that I didn't care about, so that's why I didn't watch it. But I really just don't know. It doesn't make sense. I mean, it's Christmas. I love Christmas. Why have I not seen this Christmas movie? Yeah, and it is kind of the sort of thing you would watch. Like, the, the sort of Christmas film you'd watch. It's not totally uh, fantastical. It's about loving Christmas. Yeah. And the Christmas season Yeah, I have no itself. good reason. Mm. Okay. None whatsoever. A little bit of background on it then. Miracle on 34th Street is a Christmas movie. It was released in 1994, directed by Les Mayfield and starring Richard Attenborough, Mara Wilson, Elizabeth Perkins and Dylan McDermott. It is a remake of the 1947 film of the same name. This was Mara Wilson's second film after Mrs. Doubtfire and two years before her starring role in Matilda. Richard Attenborough had been working primarily as a director in the 1980s before his scene-stealing role in Jurassic Park in 1993 and this film the following year. The film received mixed reviews from critics. They called it curiously depressing and not likely to attain the classic status of the original. 
It did not perform as well at the box office as hoped. It opened in 8th place and never rose any higher. It was behind better performing competition like The Santa Claus and Star Trek Generations, as well as The Long Tail for The Lion King. An interesting bit of trivia for this was that 20th Century Fox offered a refund to anyone who did not enjoy the film. They ended up refunding about 1,500 tickets. I'm not sure if that's a lot of tickets or not a lot of tickets. It feels like a lot. I mean, it opened in eight, so let's say 50 to 100 people per screening. Mm, okay. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it must have garnered several complaints for Fox to end up doing this. Like, I can't... Well, I wonder if they I, were I... pitching this like, this is a... You know, such a classic, nice film. You can't help but be entertained and and like it. But actually, it's not like it. Yeah, we'll get there. And and I wouldn't. <laughs> I I think the other side of that is, of course, you wouldn't expect it to be fifteen hundred if it was people taking the mick. If it was people like, oh, I could get my money back here by saying I didn't like it, it would be a couple of hundred. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. All right. Well, if you have not seen Miracle on 34th Street, this is the movie where Santa ends up on trial to prove his existence. And there's also a cynical little girl who has to learn to believe in Santa again. Right? Uh, yeah. Oh, you don't like my synopsis. Uh, well, he doesn't end up on trial. It's a hearing. Um, I think we're going to get into this later, but the film is not actually about Kris Kringle, really. It's about everyone else and the commercial elements of Christmas and whether they believe or not. He is just the catalyst. He's He is the inciting incident. Okay. To use a Lani phrase. Um, but he himself is not actually a protagonist in this film, I don't think. I, that's fair. I think IMDb had a different synopsis than Amazon did, and I kind of smooshed them together. <laughs> I think one of them was like a little girl and a lawyer must prove that Santa exists or something like that. And yeah, you I see, well, that that feels a little bit more like it. Okay. Except the problem is the, the court thing is the second half of the film. Like, yeah. It's not even the, the whole of the film. Yeah. We're going to get into this, aren't we? We are. There's lots to talk about in this one. Um, how were you able to watch it? Is this available on any streaming service over there? This one was actually available on Hulu. It's the first movie we have done in months that has been available <laughs> on Hulu. So I was very excited. Nice. What uh, about you? Over here, the channel, Film 4, they're showing this and the original. Um, certainly at the end of November, I think they will go on for a while. It's basically almost alternating each day. Um. So, like, at the beginning of the original version, they said, and if you want to compare, come back tomorrow for the new version. And then before the new version, they went, and if you want to compare, come back tomorrow for the original. Okay. <laughs> I don't think they're doing it every single day, but certainly they were doing a few days of back and forth. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. That makes that makes sense, mm. actually. Hey, Matthew and Mandy. Congratulations on 100 episodes. This is Alan from Hollowed Ground Media. Lately, when I've been recommending your show to people, I've been telling them to go to the Doctor Who episodes and to the Star Trek episodes because I think that those really showcase everything that's great about PC Deprived. It shows off the passion that you both have for these franchises and also your friendship and how you can share them with each other and appreciate what the other person sees in them and then also share like all of your thoughts and Sometimes your skepticism, 
but you always do it in the most thoughtful and kind way. And that's what's really great about PC Deprived. Congratulations, you guys, and I hope there are two or three or 400 more episodes. Doctor Who? Har har. Very funny. Man, I tell you, listening to these folks talk about us is going to give me a really big head because (laughs) we are the kindest people in the world. Clearly. Clearly. I love it. We argue well and we don't fall out. So hooray for us. Uh, Thank you very much, Alan. Um, Yeah, definitely uh, someone probably smarter than the two of us to talk about these things. So nice to hear that we're doing uh, a not too bad job. (laughs) Are there any episodes that you recommend to people when people are like, oh, that sounds like a cool podcast. What should I listen to? Do you just say you have to go back to the beginning? Otherwise, you'll never catch up and you'll, you'll miss all the like cliffhangers. Oh, no. <laughs> I would never do that to somebody with 100 episodes under our belt at this point. I think I I like to recommend the River Song episode from the mm-hmm. Doctor Who series that we did. Okay. Um, partly because that's where the Doctor Who turned around for you and you actually enjoyed it. And you could tell that in the conversation that we had, which made me very happy. Hooray. Suddenly there were well-written women in this show. <laughs> Just not enough of them. <laughs> Um, and, and then I, I send people to episodes like The Godfather because it's a surprising outcome for me. I didn't expect to enjoy it. And then I did. And I kind of think everybody should enjoy it. And I want them to kind of get my perspective on it. So Mm, nice. Yeah. What about you? Where do you send people Uh, at the beginning? Yeah. I usually rattle off a few like, oh, here's a few episodes we've done that seem like, the sort of films that person might like or are, you know, big but surprising films, uh, Jaws, Schindler's List, things like that, uh, that people might want to go and either check out or might pique their interest more than right. another film. Yeah. Because nice. it is nice that we've done some big films, we've done some smaller films, we've done a range of genres. Yeah, I feel like we are definitely a very well-rounded movie podcast. Yeah, yeah. And not just bad films. Because it seems like every other podcast is is a bad movie podcast. I don't want to talk about bad films. <laughs> but unfortunately, sometimes we do. Well, yes. So what's your experience of the cast of Miracle on 34th Street? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was smooth, Matthew. So smooth. Um, Richard Attenborough is John Hammond from Jurassic Park. <laughs> Attenborough. <laughs> Sorry. What did I say? No, you said Attenborough. <laughs> Attenborough. What do you say? Uh, Attenborough. Okay. It, it just sounded funny in your accent and I liked it and I laughed. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, apparently he also had a small role in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, which okay. I've seen several times and I don't remember, but IMDb said so. So Was he Hamlet's cool. dad? No, he was the ambassador from Denmark. Okay. Maybe. Something like that. Okay. Um, Mara Wilson has the world's most recognizable face from 90s children actors, Mm. but her filmography is tiny, you know, so I really only know her from Mrs. Doubtfire and Matilda. Yeah, she did definitely step out of it, didn't she? She did, Mm. but everybody still knows who she is, I think. Um, Elizabeth Perkins, I've actually seen her in more things than anybody else, and I was a little bit surprised by that, but it's stuff that, like, I wouldn't be able to say, oh, yeah, Elizabeth Perkins was in that. It's just when I was going through the list, I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. So 
I think when I do think of Elizabeth Perkins, I think of the Tom Hanks movie Big. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. That's that's her. She also played Wilma in the Flintstones movie. Yes. Movie. That's why um, I recognized her from, yeah. Uh, she had a recurring role on Weeds. And more recently, she has shown up in the new NBC show, This Is Us, which is my current favorite television show. Yeah. And she was also in the Sharp Objects adaptation on HBO. Yeah. So she's she's gotten around. I mean, Get, there's other stuff well, that I'm familiar yeah. with. But um, Dylan McDermott, anybody who listens to SF Pop knows that he was in Steel Magnolias because we talked about <laughs> it. Um, he was also in The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which we have talked about on this show already. And... I primarily know him from his long-running role on the uh, attorney drama The Practice Hmm. from back in the 90s. So, yeah, these are all folks that I am actually familiar with, which is unusual when we're doing movies on this show. And it is based on a very old film. 1947, the original came out. Do you have any experience of it at all? Have you seen anything of that one? No. I mean, I'm aware that it exists. I've always heard people talk about Miracle on 34th Street. But um, this is actually, I'm going to go ahead and put this here. When you posted on Twitter about it, um, Garrett, who was recently on, his response was um, that this 1994 remake is for people who hate black and white movies. And yeah, I think that really kind of describes me. I don't like black and white movies. So that's why I never saw the original. (laughs) But you've also not seen this one. Um, And let's find out, what did you think of Miracle on 34th Street? I did not enjoy it as much as I thought I would. No. No. There's something about it that's a little disappointing. Yes. Really is. Um, I was trying to figure out why, and actually, I'm going to go ahead and say this thing about Joseph here. Okay. Um. Joseph wouldn't watch it with me because he said it hurts his heart muscle. And then when we were talking about it after I watched it, he just could not believe that I did not cry at all. And it turns out he hasn't seen the 1994 version. He's only seen the original version. And so it kind of makes me think that the original was probably a lot better than this one was for it to be something that affects him so profoundly. And this one, like, I feel like a cold dead person after watching this it, it just did not impact me emotionally i'm i'm not sure i can say the original is better um the original does some of this better definitely okay. and it does yeah it hits some of the emotional resonant moments better but the setup for the plot is a bit weirder there's a whole thing with a psychologist who works for macy's who um because it is actually macy's and gimbals the actual stores um Mm -hmm. featured in it and there's a psychologist who works for them who uh, is the one who talks to chris kringle and it's his antagonization with chris kringle who basically does a sort of reverse psychology thing on him and suggests he's not very good at his job and then when he finds out he's been putting down someone else he then goes back and hits him over his head with a cane and then just walks off um and then that's why he's taken for the hearing to decide whether he goes to Bellevue or not. Mm-hmm. Like the setup is not done very well. And then the whole thing with him being the babysitter in this, I think this does it better because in the original, he's just at her house and she leaves the girl alone with Chris Kringle. 
like this gold man that they're not sure is completely all there or not. <laughs> so it's a bit, and why is he in her bedroom? <laughs> it's a bit strange. Okay. So, like, th- this is more solid. It holds together better, but I don't think it hits the, the like I say, the emotion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, um, the original has more ambiguity about whether he is Chris Kringle. No, he is oh. Chris Kringle. Whether he is Father Christmas or whether he is just an old man who thinks he is. Oh, like, interesting. Like yeah, this, this one had no ambiguity. Yeah, this version very much comes out of the thing of he's Father Christmas and let's just move on with that. And, and I think right. it, it wants the ambiguity. I do think it, it still wants there to be some discussion about it because it never goes to that fantastical place that we saw with Christmas with the Cranks that we thought was unnecessary. The bit at the end of, oh no, he is Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. this doesn't quite go there but at the same time everything else it does is no no he is Father Christmas right I don't know I think the very act of, of her getting the house at the end the two of them getting married and having the whole wedding set up by him yeah and I mean there it she's super pregnant when this movie ends <laughs> I mean come on so I, I think if they were going for ambiguity, they failed. Yes, I agree. Hi, Matthew and Mandy. This is Jazzy from Moo Point Podcast. And congratulations to you both on your 100th episode. That's amazing. And I, I'm, of course, a super fan of your show. And my only real problem with it is that I can't join you for more episode discussions because I absolutely love hearing Mandy's reactions when she watches like some of my favorite movies for the first time. Um, Actually, that's not true. I can't figure out whether I like it better when Mandy loves something that I love or when she totally hates it. (laughs) So, I mean, that sounds mean. I'm not glad that Mandy has to suffer through something she doesn't like. But I really enjoy hearing her different perspective when I know that I'm going to love a piece of media no matter what just because of blind nostalgia. Um... Which brings me to, in case I haven't said it enough already, I am really sorry about that whole Dumb and Dumber thing. Um, I have to, I have to go back on that. I'm not, I'm not quite sorry enough. Sorry, because that was one of the most fun conversations I've had in a really long time, except for all friends debates, of course. But anyway, as I'm recording this to you both, uh, apologies for the sound. I'm walking along a beach on the Oregon coast. And this is the same one that I walked on when I first heard your podcast a couple years ago. I was a bit late to the party. I missed your launch. But a friend of mine, it's one Brandon that you might recall. And again, I need to apologize for the Dumb and Dumber thing. Sorry. Um, Anyway, Brandon had told me really excitedly about this great project he'd done when he guested on a podcast about Ghostbusters. And as I recall... He said that it was pretty cool that a girl from North Carolina and a guy from England and a dude from Alaska could all sit around together and talk movies. And so, of course, I am intrigued at this, and I had to check out what he was talking about. Um, But I've got slightly completionist tendencies. (laughs) There was no way I was going to listen to this podcast that my friend was on without listening to all the episodes from the beginning. So I walked up and down this beach, and I listened to 13 episodes in one weekend, all just so I could get to this discussion between Brandon and Matthew and Mandy. And I have not missed an episode since. So I should say, for the record, I I wouldn't have had to have gotten all the way to Ghostbusters 
to fall in love with pop culture deprived. Because you two, you guys had me from Die Hard, which, by the way, I still have not seen. But Christmas is coming, so whatever. And that doesn't matter. I It doesn't matter that I haven't seen it because I love listening to your conversations, even if I'm not familiar with whatever you're talking about. And I love doing it while I walk along the same beach because I'm here often. And not once have I set foot on this beach that I haven't thought back to that very first weekend when I listened to your first episodes. And it's like you're here with me every time. And that wasn't meant to sound creepy, but it kind of did. I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) So anyway, you guys, your podcast was like my gateway into a medium and a community I didn't even know existed, and now I'm really happy to be a part of it. I love listening to your discussions. And if I were forced to come up with one complaint about your show, I've already said it. It's that I can't join you for every one of them. But, I mean, since we can't all join you for Star Trek Voyage Home, I will just politely defer to whatever superfan won that episode, and I will utter a colorful metaphor, and I will take you along with me on my next beach walk, because you're here with me every time in the least creepy way possible. Really. Promise. Um, I appear to be rambling. Congratulations, you guys. We all loved your first hundred episodes, and I, for one, really cannot wait to hear the next hundred. So, excuse me while I go peruse the giant list of things that Mandy hasn't seen or read so that I can put in my bid for another episode. And one more time, congratulations, you two. Jassy makes me smile. Now, it really sounds like there's something specific she's thinking of when she talks it about does. Mandy not having liked something. Is it Muppets Christmas Carol? Because she was really probably. excited for that one. Yeah, probably. A combination of that one and Dumb and Dumber. I mean, I know she keeps apologizing for Dumb and Dumber, but she's not sorry about that one bit. She's not. We know she's not. But it's really cool to think that both of us are walking along the beach in Oregon with her when I've never even been to Oregon, so. Oh, yes. (laughs) I've been to Oregon. Someone in Portland thought I was Australian, so (laughs) who knows. Um, (laughs) Oh. Yeah. I thoroughly thoroughly recommend Crater Lake, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Ten-foot-high snowfall in uh, June. That was good fun. Nice. Mm. Maybe I'll get there one day. Um... But yes, we are there with her. We we see her when she's sleeping. We see when she's awake. Maybe. <laughs> I'm trying to bring it back to Father Christmas. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think we got that in, the, in the creepiest way possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's do, let's dig into this film a little bit more. One of my overriding things watching this was I don't know who this film has been made for. Not necessarily as a remake, but. There are bits of this film that feel like it would be a really nice, heartwarming sit inside when it's cold, you know, and you've got the fire on with the family, and it's got a bit of fantasy, and it's got a bit of niceness, and you all just feel happy after watching it. But then there's the fact that it's about a court case, about this hearing, and it's about the machinations of people who run shops. Mm -hmm. So it's not the easiest stuff, really, to make interesting for kids. Right. You know, taxation and the blockade of trade routes and things. Um, it's a little Star Wars reference for you there. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's not a good Christmas film for adults. Or, or, no, it could be a good Christmas film for adults. But then it's got, it does things like, oh, reindeer in the courtroom and this 
relationship that does not work when you poke at it at all. And, and there was a lot of the film that's in the child's point of view, like I say, assuming that he's Father Christmas and just that's just what it is, rather than giving us a bit of that ambiguity, a bit of the kind of intellectual exercise that would make it a good film for adults. Right. So I don't know quite either whether they've tried to do both and not threaded the needle and done either very well, or if they just made the film and actually it's not, there is no market for a film of this type. I, so I was watching it and and I was kind of feeling the same way that that you are. To me, this film doesn't know what it's trying to be. It it has kind of like multiple personalities. Mm. Like you've got the bits with Elizabeth and Brian, which is trying to be a rom-com. You've got the whole hearing, which is trying to be like a courtroom drama. You've got Susan desperately wanting a family, you know, so you've got this family inspiring children's film kind of thing. And it, it doesn't do any one of those things well. And and those three things don't really mix mm. well. And then I also struggled because this movie just absolutely does not know what era it's set in. It, it yeah. could not decide if it was set in 1994 <laughs> or if it's set in 1944. Yeah. It was really weird. Um, I mean, because you've got the contrast of Kohl's with Shoppers Express. And Shoppers Express is obviously trying to be this ultra modern thing with mm. all of the LED lights and the, the flashing signs. But then you've got the traditionalism of Kohl's and then you've got these taxi cabs that are clearly pulled right out of the 40s or 50s. But then the other cars on the street are all clearly from the 80s and 90s. Mm. But then the lighting, particularly when Elizabeth Perkins is talking, is straight out of that silver screen era. Absolutely, yeah. Like cloudy, vibrant eyes kind of thing. You've got this like softness around the face. I'm sure there are technical terms for this. I just don't know what they are. (laughs) So it just, it felt all over the place. Like it needed to pick something. And then it could have done that one thing really well. But instead, it feels like it tried to be everything to everybody and it just couldn't do it. Mm. And I, I think even within that, like it kind of wants to be a rom-com, but there's no com in that rom. No, <laughs> no, not I, at all. I, I, mean, I mean, there's very little rom, if we're honest. <laughs> they don't really work as a couple. and And I think it's almost okay, the fact that he proposes and clearly actually the relationship doesn't work because that's not what she wants and and it ends up splitting them apart because of that but there was no point in that that you feel at least he's into it more it's just oh i'm written to love this woman so i will love her and squish her and hug her and cuddle her (laughs) (laughs) exactly i i struggled with their relationship because it just it didn't make sense it god it is not rooted in reality at all which I feel weird saying about a movie that's about Santa Claus, because mm. you know, but there there's no such thing as a relationship that would be like that. That would be, I mean, he is practically this child's father, and yet the mother is so oblivious to his feelings about her. Mm-hmm. Like they've clearly never gone on an actual date, but then when they do, he proposes. Yeah. <laughs> what it's, it's is old, happening? It's the old thing of like, if you leave silence for five seconds, someone will say, I love you. If you leave it for 10 seconds, you'll get married. It's right. got that kind of, oh, we don't know how to talk to each other. I love you. Will you marry me? Yeah. 
Yeah, I like how um, on Twitter at Nature Finds a Pod said that the movie has issues but still gives you a good Christmassy feeling and you press them on that and they came back with the main issue is Dylan McDermott and Elizabeth Perkins because their relationship is a hot mess communications disaster. Mm. And I think that is spot on. Yeah. And I think I think she is written inconsistently. Because what they yes. want to do is they want the main character, uh, I want to say Maureen O'Hara from um, the original, mm-hmm. who had a different name. I think they've changed all the names. Doris Walker in the original is the character. And she is, it's 1947, she is divorced, she is an executive with a good job and a daughter and a housekeeper who helps look after the daughter and is doing very well and is raising her daughter to be a very, uh, similar to what we see from Mara Wilson, very straight, does not believe in Father Christmas, understands how the parade works and understands how the world works. And it is one of the best written working mothers I've ever seen in a film, certainly from this era. Mm Mm-hmm. In the new version, I think they want her to have that, but Mara Wilson comes over as cynical rather than precocious. It gets yes. it gets better as the film goes on, so I don't know whether that's performance or writing. But they also want it to be a bit, oh, see, she's not able to look after her daughter well enough, and she's got problems at the store, she's trying to have it all, and it doesn't quite work. Whereas it was better when it was, oh, no, she's on top. We just have to make her believe because she herself is so jaded about romance and relationships. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, I, I would buy into suddenly she believes in Chris Kringle is Santa Claus. So suddenly she believes actually you should look for magic and goodness in the world. You shouldn't become cut off to it. So, yes, I will open myself up to getting married again or, or this relationship. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it quite works again. Yeah. I, I, I think like like the other stuff that we've talked about, it just it sort of misses the beat where they should either show that or explain that or have her realise something. Possibly without him having to do the the Chris Kringle voiceover when she sees how upset everyone is without Santa Claus. Right. You, you know, we were there twenty minutes ago when he said those words. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they just they don't do a good job of setting her up to be struggling at anything she is clearly good at her job she's clearly she's a good mother she takes care of her child she loves her child she makes sure that that susan is taken care of she teaches her you know about truth and things like that Mm. but then all of a sudden we try to give her this romance and that's when she becomes cold I think like I don't really get coldness from her anywhere else except for when it's around this relationship that is a hot mess communications disaster, mm. you know, um, so I just I don't think it was done well. I think it could have been done differently to a much more successful outcome. Yeah, they they tried to give us more of her story perhaps and as needed and also because it's that he split after the the child was born and was a drunk and was terrible and so on it it doesn't need that it just needs to be the love went out of the marriage and they got divorced and that's mm-hmm. why she no longer believes in it but they have to make it even more dramatic yeah mm. 
Hi, this is Brandon from Moo Point, a friend's podcast. That's not First Brandon. All, Hang on, that's you. That is me. That is me. Hi, Brandon. Brandon, <laughs> Brandon wrote us a lovely email in celebration of our 100th episode, so I am going to actually read it now. Brandon from Alaska writes. <laughs> this is Brandon from Moo Point, a friend's podcast. First of all, congratulations on 100 episodes. I know podcasts are a lot of work, and 100 episodes is such a huge lift. What an incredible job you've done. Normally, I don't waste time with text when someone invites me to talk. I love any chance to have my voice be the center of attention. You caught me during a strange time where I can't bring myself to hit that little red button, so here I am banging out an email about how wonderful you are. So let me tell you why you are wonderful, pop culturally deprived, Mandy Kay, and Matthew. I don't know what you thought you were signing off on when you first started jotting down ideas on where you wanted to take this crazy thing. I think maybe this started off as a solo project for Mandy? Imagine that world where Matthew is not on board for this. I was around when it kicked off and it was so impressive to me. You all, y'all, are exceptionally talented at the talk. You make me laugh. Sometimes you make me shake my head in disgust. You make me smile. You remind me that sometimes I need to frown even at a childhood classic. Looking at you, Indy. But here's what you really do for me. You probably do this for many people and I'm talking to both of you. You are a voice of a normal, everyday human being doing an exceptional thing on a microphone. It's your vulnerability coming through in my earbuds that makes life's challenges easier to take. I feel connections to you that would only be possible if you let yourself bleed out in each production, not being actors, but people just like me. In the depths of a debilitating depression or during the happiest times of my life, I can light off your podcast and hear two lovely, genuine humans talk to each other. I can laugh. I can smile. I can occasionally yell out my disagreements with Mandy. I can feel not as alone. So seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. All these people disagreeing with you. That's the takeaway? Really? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I know people disagree with me. It's Mm -hmm. my lot in life to bear. (laughs) Thank you, Brandon. Really appreciate those kind words. Yeah, again, the Ghostbusters sharing things like that and and having someone else on who... It is so excited about it as well. It's so much fun. So, yeah, it was great having Brandon on ages ago. And I didn't have to talk to him about Dumb and Dumber. So we're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Matthew was delighted to hand off that episode to Jazzy and Brandon. Mostly because I was also in a resort in Sardinia. Not Sardinia. Sicily. <laughs> Italy. I don't even know where you went on your own honeymoon. I do. <laughs> It momentarily escaped me. Right, right. Okay, so now that we have kind of talked really terrible things about this movie, were there things about it that you genuinely enjoyed that you would say were your favorites? Not as many as I would hope. Um, Like I say, I think it doesn't hit the the sort of emotional resonance as well as it could, Um, and certainly as well as some of it does in the original. Um, But... The moment where he is being Father Christmas and he's presented with the deaf girl who just wants to see him. Obviously, he can't speak to her, but she just wants to sit there. And they do take a few moments before he starts signing at her. And she mm-hmm. signs back to him and she has this delightful smile on her face. She is a gorgeous young lady at that moment, just so happy and excited that Santa Claus is talking to her. It is a really, really nice moment. Yeah. I think the film wants more of them. It doesn't quite get there, but that was that was very, very well done. In the original, 
it's a Dutch girl. Because um, obviously this is very, very just post-war. Um, and she is a refugee, orphan, have has come over from Holland, speaks no English whatsoever. And she sat down with Father Christmas and he then just breaks into Dutch with her. And it does the same thing, but they don't do the build-up with a bit of music, with the sad look on his face. He just speaks Dutch at her. Okay. So, so this sort of presses the emotion of it more. Right. And I think it works in this occasion. Yeah, this is the one scene that almost elicited an emotional response from me. <laughs> almost. Other than anger and bile. <laughs> oh, no, nothing made me angry. I it know. just was very, <laughs> meh. Yeah. But this was very sweet. It was very heartwarming. Mm. And I was delighted to see Alison Jenny suddenly cropping up. I think this is probably about the time she started on the West Wing. Um, but she's got that incredibly strong New York accent and is pretending to be, you know, just a mother who's shopping in this department store. Any store that puts the parent ahead of the almighty buck at Christmas deserves my business. And it's just terrific, you know, seeing her going off, you know. I'm one of the finest actresses of my generation, but I'm here talking to you in a in New York accent. Hey, <laughs> hey, I'm walking and talking here. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I could not remember her name when I was doing my notes. Oh, really? I just called her CJ Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's CJ Craig with an accent. It really was, wasn't it? And at the same time, Jane Leaves was in this, so Daphne from Phasia. Mm-hmm. And she was even listed in the opening credits. I was like, oh, terrific. I can't wait to see her. She's got about four lines. She's, yeah. It's almost no point to her being there. It's a real shame. I think this is the only thing I've ever seen her in that wasn't Fraser. I feel like she's been in something recently. I have no idea what that was now. Um, but so, you know, it was nice to see her at least. <laughs> if not hear her. Um, what about you? Things that particularly delighted you? Things you enjoyed? I did like that the store decided to stand by Chris Kringle. Mm. And they did the the video where he stood up there and he said, Coles believes in Santa Claus and we will stand by him. I really liked that. Yeah. I, I don't know why exactly, but it was it was a moment of belief in this wholly cynical movie, mm. I think. And that's why it, you know, kind of like pricked my heartstrings a little bit. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you how they do that in the original? Yeah. Because again, it's about the way that shops and commerce works, but I think it's more accessible to make it better for a family audience. Basically, uh, Macy's start doing this thing and saying, actually, yeah, we'll get goodwill from it. We'll send people over to uh, Gimli's. Gimli's? Gimli's. Um, Gimbrels? I can't remember. Gimbrels? But they, they they decide that, okay, so we're going to start doing this thing now. And then Gimbals, that's it. Yeah, Gimbals. They, Gimbals then find out that this is happening. And they say, well, if they're going to be getting goodwill, we should too. We're going to send people over there for toys they stock, but we don't. And in fact, we're going to do it on all our stores. So then Macy's find out that it's happening as a more state um, statewide thing. So then Macy start doing it with all their out-of-state ones and be like, send them to all the toy stores if we don't stock something. And it really is just this, oh, there's lots of goodwill. And that comes from this guy who says his Father Christmas. That's quite nicely done. So I th- I, Interesting. It, it felt better that it was not just about um, the bottom line stuff that we see in 
uh, in this new one about, oh, we want to take them over, so we need to drive them down. Yeah. It's actually, we want to be considered the nicer toy store. No, we want to be considered the nicer toy store. Well, I felt like Kohl's was going for that, but Shoppers Express was just trying to be evil and villainous. Yeah. It, it didn't work. Yeah. Anyway, I derailed your favorite. Sorry. Oh, it's just totally yeah. fine. Um, the other thing was, I really did find delight in Mara Wilson's character of Susan, mm. because Susan really is an old man trapped in a little girl's body. <laughs> <laughs> um, she she has this line um, where she's talking to her mom about whether or not Kris Kringle is actually Santa Claus, and she says, what if we're wrong? That would be extremely rude. <laughs> and it just cracked me up. And later, after... Um, when they're in the courtroom after she's given the card to the judge, she sticks her tongue out at Mr. Collins, the prosecutor. Mm. It's just adorable. Yeah, that is nice. I mean, Mara Wilson is adorable. As a child, mm. she was utterly adorable. And she just did kind of... I, I feel like in all of her roles, she was an old man trapped in a little girl's body. <laughs> she, she just does that really well. But it worked for me here. Mm. Okay, can I ask you about the the dollar bill thing then? This whole yes. in God we trust. And okay, so if we're putting our faith in God, then we can put our faith in Father Christmas, so it's okay. Does that work for you as an explanation? Oh, it absolutely worked for me. I okay. thought it was brilliant. Oh, okay. How did they do that in the original? Um, I think it's a bit more clever. Basically, someone writes to Chris Kringle as he's being detained at the courthouse. And so we have this cutaway to the the post office, um, the sorting office, and they have this card. And they're like, oh, it's so strange. We have all these Father Christmas letters, but we've got this one that's for um, the courthouse. But they're normally addressed to the North Pole. It's like, well, haven't you heard? Heard what? He's at the courthouse. He's being there, there deciding whether he is Father Christmas or not. Well, we've got sacks and sacks. We could send them on over. So they decide to send all this post to the courthouse. Um and the chap who's defending Chris Kringle gets them brought in and dumped sacks and sacks of letters dumped on the judge's desk with the the argument of, well, if the post office is delivering them here, they believe he's Father Christmas, and that's a US government service that believes he's, he's Father Christmas. So how can the court decide he's not? So a, okay, a so similar, very similar. A really similar argument, but I think, uh, for me, it feels more... Um, tangible, solid. Huh. Just it, it is an actual thing rather than just, well, there's this other thing that we don't believe in that we can't prove is actually real that we do believe in. So there's this other thing that we can say isn't real. Like, okay, so ghosts exist? Is this what we're saying? <laughs> no, see, I don't, I don't see it quite at that level because one, in this particular version, they were trying to make it about the money because of the villain guy who True. really mm -hmm. didn't come to anything. But for him, everything was about the money. They were trying to pay off this judge in the first place. And so for it to come from the money to be the thing that makes him realize, oh, well, if the state is already backing this particular thing, then, of course, I can also back Santa. There's okay. no reason I can't. There's no reason I can't put my faith in something when we've already established as a government that we have done the same thing. And so I actually thought it was really clever to bring it back to the money mm. as the thing that helps him be able to 
rule in favor of Santa. Be, and is part of that coming from because so many people across the state of New York believe there is a precedent for so many people, like, we're going to go with their wisdom of crowds, maybe? I I don't know. I think that they that confused me, honestly, because it felt like they were trying to lead up into that direction with the way they were showing all of the crowds. But for them to specifically show the scene where the judge talks to Brian privately and just tells him, look, I want to rule in favor of him, but I just can't. Like, this isn't going to happen, so you need to prepare yourself. And then what changes his mind is Susan giving him the dollar bill. It has nothing to do with the crowds. Mm. Um, and, and so that felt a little bit like a, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, like a misdirection. Mm. Maybe. And again, it's a happy, nice, heartwarming thing. But because it comes to nothing, you just sort of forget about it. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of stuff in this movie that comes to nothing. Yeah, their their marriage potentially as well. And the light <laughs> reflecting off that ring. Right? <laughs> that ring was not big enough for all of that light. No. <laughs> all right, well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about 1994's Miracle on 34th Street? I feel like we've already touched on this a lot, but I think I want to ask you outright. Do you believe that Richard Attenborough's character, Chris Kringle, is Santa Claus? Yes. Okay. 100% absolutely. Was there any point where you were debating, maybe he is, maybe he isn't? Uh, no, I don't think so. Would you have preferred it if there was that oh, maybe he's not. That that could be an interesting way of taking it. Or is it nicer just because it's, yes, he's Father Christmas and we're going to put him on trial? I think... Hmm, that's a good question. I think that because I'm coming at it from the perspective of, okay, this is a Christmas movie that's about Santa Claus, so obviously he's Santa Claus, it didn't occur to me that it would ever be any other way. Okay. But the film never even gives you that question. So the film doesn't even try no, to make No, I mean, because the introduction is the little boy wants to know if he's Santa Claus, and he says he is. Like, in the first minute of the film, he says he's Santa Claus. Mm. And and then we see him being so enraged at the fake Santa Claus at the parade and, and how he's treating the institution and the symbol and, and all of these things. and And so it just... They never gave me a reason to question whether or not he was Santa. Mm. He was pre to me. He was presented as, as if he was, but that may just be because of my preconceived notions coming into it. Well, and as well as that, is it because it's Richard Attenborough? Yeah, he is so <laughs> straight and serious, and also a Santa-like person, especially in other films we see him in, such as as John Hammond. Mm -hmm. Um, that it's easier to believe it is him whereas if it was you know the chaps who played Dumbledore doing it in a slightly uh, I'm not totally sure I see it because you could also be a drunken weird old dude yeah I don't know I think I still I'm going to go back to the idea that this is a Christmas movie about Santa so he has to be Santa okay okay dear Mandy and Matthew Congratulations to you both on 100 episodes of Pop Culturally Deprived. 
I first heard about the show from an episode of one of Lani Diane Rich's podcasts. I have no idea which one. I listen to nearly all of them. I've always considered myself somewhat pop culture deprived as well, despite the fact I was a kid in the 70s and 80s. I never saw Star Wars. So I thought I'd give the show a listen. At that time, there were probably 25 or 30 episodes from which to choose. Instead of starting from the beginning, I decided to listen to the episode about one of my all-time favourite movies, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, no. (laughs) Perhaps you can imagine what happened next. I hated the show. Oh, no. (laughs) Not only did Mandy completely disparage one of my historic favourites, she was also sick and completely grumpy. So, uh, so unlike her usual chipper self. I appreciated how much Matthew loved the movie, but I couldn't get past Mandy's red-hot hatred, or what it felt like to me being such a fan of Monty Python in general. I am pretty sure I didn't even listen, finish listening to the episode and immediately unsubscribed to the podcast. Oh, Mandy, you lost us a listener. Flash forward a few months later, and I was fortunate enough to engage with Mandy on Twitter. Of course, she was charming and funny and oh so smart. And so I thought I would give the podcast another listen. I'm not sure which episode I chose, presumably not The Life of Brian, but whatever it was, I was hooked. I came to love the back and forth conversation and banter between Mandy and Matthew, as well as the fresh perspectives both offered on films I had seen and not seen. I am now a loyal listener and proud Patreon supporter and listen to every episode, whether I've seen the movie or not. I'm recently thankful to you both and Dr. Kelly Jones for your episode on Galaxy Quest. I had never seen the movie, but listened and was was so intrigued that I finally saw it and holy cow, I was laughing out loud the entire time. I always assumed it was a stupid parody and it was just so much more. While I find myself more often aligned to Matthew's tastes, I love listening to your insightful and always fun conversations. I also appreciate the many guests you have brought on and the perspectives they bring. I think my favourite episodes of the show have been the ones on Desperately Seeking Susan with Eric Malinsky and Thelma and Louise with Ali. The discussion with Eric was deep, funny and nostalgic. Being a child of the 80s myself, I could absolutely relate. And the discussion with Ali was a blueprint for what a respectful disagreement can look like. My hopes for the show in the future are that both of you would to watch some older classics, maybe some Audrey Hepburn movies, but please not Breakfast at Tiffany's. My recommendations are Roman Holiday or Sabrina. Congratulations again, Mandy and Matthew, and I look forward to hearing more. All the best, Suzanne at Susie Hula on Twitter. P.S. Please don't ever make Mandy watch The Meaning of Life. (laughs) You almost lost us a listener. I know, I'm sorry. So you clearly need to like every film in case people disagree with you and don't listen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, clearly everybody disagrees with me. That's okay. No, that that is a a lovely message. And I think it really does speak to how we we try to uh, not necessarily denigrate everything we don't like. We try to have a conversation about it. uh, And we like having all the different voices on. We want people to come on and talk to us and tell us. You know, this is my favorite, and here is why. And let's talk about it. Yeah, you know, even and I've said this before. Even when we do episodes where I've had to watch something that I really didn't like, I always come out of our recordings happy. I enjoy the conversations that we have about them. I've never gone gone into something and just been a completely grumpy puss who was just so annoyed that I had to do it. I know it probably. For somebody who didn't know us and listened to Monty Python first, that probably is how it came across. But I remember that episode as being utterly delightful because you and I had so much fun doing it. 
Um, so I always, yeah, I always come out of them, if nothing else, appreciating the experience, even if I utterly hated the movie. And I, I have been watching a lot of older classics this year. Um, mm-hmm. Just trying to fill in bits that have been missed that I've been pop culture deprived on. Um, there's definitely some ones in there I, I want us to watch or I think you should see at some point. I agree about Breakfast at Tiffany's. I've had to watch that film twice this year. Um, once because I'd never seen it, so I watched it. And then once because we did it at the film festival. Um, mm. And I was on the door for that one, so I had to watch the film. Yeah, no. It's, it's not as held up or it's not as good as I think it's like general... Uh, memory of it that people have I think people okay. remember it as being more delightful and the main character being more funny and quirky and interesting uh, I don't think she's held up that way we okay. do so in the so the festival was for the local film society and this season on the society we're showing charade which is another uh, classic Audrey Hepburn so I am looking forward to seeing that that's supposed to be good cool yeah mm. we'll have to definitely put some of those on the list mm. I feel like the only Audrey Hepburn I've actually seen is My Fair Lady Okay, yeah, good. So hmm. there's definitely some to choose from. Nice. I I I will get you watching a black and white film, one that you will like. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to have to do that at some point for sure. I, I have resigned myself to this. <laughs> hey, y'all. This is Kelly Jones, pop culturally deprived fan and sometimes guest. Calling in to say congratulations on the 100th episode of PCD. Mandy and Matthew, your friendship shines through this podcast and your genuine care for each other and for the work you share makes PCD a joy to listen to. And honestly, you both amaze me. Podcasting is hard work. Planning, scheduling, writing, editing, posting – But podcasting across multiple time zones, countries, genres, and with multiple guests is serious leveling up, and you do it beautifully. You inspired me when I first started podcasting and helped me see that this kind of work is doable, and that if you want a podcast, you can get a mic and ask a friend to cheer you on or to join you, and just do the thing that you want to do. Pop Culturally Deprived has such a fun premise, and it's a great way to watch movies I might not ever watch otherwise. I will always be glad that y'all had me watch Galaxy Quest. Your show has kept me company in so many ways, and let me hear the voices and perspectives of many wonderful people, because just like the two of you, Pop Culturally Deprived is open, welcoming, endearing, and smart. So thank you both for putting yourselves out there, for modeling collaborative creativity and critical thought, for celebrating the stories you love, and for sharing yourselves with us. Here's wishing you all the best for your next 100 episodes. Oh, I do love Kelly. Yes. Oh. Yep, I absolutely have a big head after <laughs> listening to all of those wonderful things that our listeners had to say about us. I think it is well-deserved. One of the things I quite like hearing is finding out about the films people have watched because we've talked about them. Whether it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that film's coming up on Pop Culture Deprived. I should now go and watch it. Or, oh, they talked about it and it actually sounds really good fun where I didn't think it was going to be fun. So I'll go and watch it now. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I love hearing from everyone. So if you're listening to this now, I would really like to hear about films that you've watched because we've told you they sound good, because we've talked about them, because they've been coming up on the show. 
Drop, drop us a tweet. Drop us a message. It's quite it's quite cool to hear that. So you can do that by using the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can send us an email at podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. We are funded by our lovely listeners through our Patreon page. Anything you can give gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and develop other shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to visit eloquentgushing.com where you can find our other shows. The inflection on that sounded like you were going to say something else. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Such as... And uh, one of those shows is Brand Spanking New. Um, it's the project you heard Caitlin mention in her uh, her message to us. Caitlin and I are doing a brand new show about the discovery of Witches television show. It is called Desire Made Real, a discovery of Witches podcast. Officially, we are going to launch on January 17th, which is when all of the episodes will be live for uh, the United States and Canada. But you can hear our introductory teaser episode it is currently live so go search for desire made real on your podcatcher of choice give us a subscribe and we will be talking more about it in january yeah can't wait to listen to that one it will be an excellent thing to support uh what what is looking like an interesting show oh it's a great show (laughs) i mean i wouldn't be podcasting about it if it wasn't doesn't say that oh okay oh the tv show (laughs) yeah i thought you were like my podcast Ripper. <laughs> no, no, no. Television show. I mean, well, you do a, you, is awesome you too, do have but... a very big head, so <laughs> <laughs> Yes, 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 we do. All right. Well, we will be back next week with another episode where we will talk about the nightmare before Christmas. Finally. So until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm not just a whimsical figure who wears a charming suit. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.